For the past month or so, any of you who've been here, you know that we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit that are all mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And even though this is the first one mentioned, we haven't gotten to love until now, um, but it's obviously, what, what, what do you have without love? You have nothing without love, as Paul says. So today, our scripture is from Ephesians chapter 5. One, verses one and two, just two verses. If you'd like to open up your Bible or your phone or grab a Bible from the pew in front of you, you can follow along as I read these two verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Well, good morning. Um, and uh, if you're new to Scarlet City, thank you for being here. We're delighted to have you as our guest. My name is Jay O'Brien, and I and others would love to connect with you in the lobby after the worship gathering. Well, as Elise just mentioned, we've been in a sermon series called Fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we finally get to the beginning this Sunday, and we're talking about love. And uh, as we kind of enter in, I'm just curious, how many of you, and you could raise your hand or just nod uh, in, your, in your own head, uh, how many of you love the Christmas giving uh, deal? How many of you love to go shopping, love to buy gifts, uh, really enjoy that? Now, who here is done with that? Who, you've, you've gotten the gifts, you did it all on Black Friday or earlier in the month, you plan ahead and you are good. All right, a few of you. How many have some more work to do and maybe even right now you have a list or maybe I reminded you, we're reminding you now that Christmas is on Tuesday. So giving something after that, you know, unless it's like a family deal where you're meeting after that, it's a little difficult. But some of us do. We love giving and receiving, love the whole gift deal with Christmas. I personally, I enjoy it to a degree, but I feel a lot of pressure. feel a lot of pressure, especially buying gifts for someone who I really love, someone that I really want to impress, that I want them to know how I feel about them. There can be a lot of pressure on giving gifts, especially those who we really care about. I mean, uh, many people are just like, hey, here you go. Here's a gift card. You're welcome, you know. But some people, it's just so hard, hard to buy for. So kind of what are the qualities of a gift that would make someone feel really loved? This is important, especially if you've put off getting a gift until now. I might find some tips here. Like, what are, what are the qualities of a gift that make you feel loved? I think there's a few things that, that, that come to mind. One, a gift that make you feel loved is probably something that's personal. It's something that you need or want. And so if I'm purchasing a gift for Megan, my wife, and I get her a lawnmower... I mean, there might be a number of reasons why that wouldn't be a good gift, but that's not something Megan really wants. Um, that's not something that she necessarily even needs. Maybe I would need the lawnmower. But, you know, buying just a lawnmower for Megan, that's not very personal. I just don't give something random to someone that you love. Oh, I was shopping and going through the sale rack, and here you go. And it, was on, it was on discount, so that's what you get. <laughs> Not very personal. Uh, others, uh, another quality of a gift that makes you feel love is there's, it's, so, it's sacrificial. There's something in the gift 
that required some sacrifice of the other person. Uh, If someone just gives of an overflow of all that they have, even if it's personal and something you want, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're thankful for it, but you don't necessarily feel, it's not that you, you feel unloved, but you don't feel as loved as something that requires some sacrifice from the giver. And that's why often some of the best gifts to give someone are things that might require time. Whether it's um, constructing a card rather than just buying a card. Investing the time and thoughtfulness and care to get something important that makes the person feel loved. You know, when we were growing up as kids, one of the ways our parents could love us well, it wasn't just what they gave us as a gift that we could unwrap under a Christmas tree, though as kids we often thought that's what we wanted, but what we really wanted was their affection, their time, something that required some sacrifice. A third component of a good gift is that it's it's impactful, that there's meaning to it, that it can lead to something, something of significance. I don't mean to make everyone nervous, like, oh, great, now I get, you know, now my spouse is going to be, feel unloved by what I'm going to give. It's not sacrificial. It's not as personal as I'd like and impactful. How does one give an impactful gift? This morning, as we look at what Christ has given, as we look at the love that God demonstrates toward us, we see, we see what we all need. We see the personal nature of God's love. We see the sacrifice of God's love in what Elise just read that Christ gave himself, gave himself as Christ loved us and gave himself. And thirdly, we see the impact of God's love. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. As we think on Christmas, what could we get on Christmas that would have any relevance into next year? When we think about God's love given to us, how can it truly impact our life? What we see is that God's love gives us a new identity. A new identity. And now we hear that and we think, oh, okay, so that's what God's love gives? I mean, you know, gosh, it just can feel a little underwhelming. It would be nice if God showed up and gave us something that we could unwrap under the tree. But when we press into the concept and the nature of identity, what we find is that it is one of, if not the most powerful and impacting things one can give and receive. Because identity gets to the core question that we all wrestle with, and that is, who am I? Who are we? And so we want to look at that this morning. Four ways God gives us a new identity and what it means. The gift of a new identity. Uh, First, we see that God's love gives us a new identity. We ask the question, who am I? And many of us, in response to this question, what we answer with it is what we do. We may say, I am what I do. I am what I have done. Now, I want to paint an experience for you. Um, You're at a Christmas party. And how many of you enjoy Christmas parties? You like it? Okay, yes, the the outgoing ones, yes. 
Elena loves Christmas parties. We saw that if you're at the Scarlet City Christmas party. And that's awesome. Praise God. Um, what about a Christmas party where you don't know anyone there? Uh, that's really awkward. <laughs> that's really awkward. A, a few might really like that. Oh, a group of people I don't know. Sweet, I get to ask questions and get to know them. Personally, I, I don't know. I, I feel a little awkward in those moments, and I know maybe I shouldn't as a pastor, you know, a person of people and things, but I just don't always know what to do, you know? And, and then you, you get to those questions like, how about the Buckeyes, you know, and what do you want Santa to bring and, and that kind of thing. And then you get to the, uh, what do you do? You know, what do you do? Um, and, I, and I'm weird, and I, and I shouldn't say weird things to people who don't know me because it just makes it more awkward for everyone involved. They don't get my sense of humor, so I kind of make people feel uncomfortable. But I, in, those, in that moment, I want to say something when they're like, you know, what do you do? I want to say, I eat. Yeah, like, you, you eat. Yes, I eat food. I eat, I eat food. Like, weird. You know, who, who are you? Or, or what do you do? I sleep. Like, you, that's what you do. Okay, cool. Or what do you do? I watch. That would make someone feel really uncomfortable. Like, I watch. I look. That's what I do. I look. Of course, they're not just wanting to know what are all the things that you do in life, but what do you do for career? You know, and really what they're asking is, are you important? Are you important? Uh, one time when, I, when we first moved to Columbus, we were hanging out, meeting our neighbors, and, our, and on Arden Road, we had this happy hour, and it was a great way to get to know people, and we were talking, and, and one of the guys, was, you know, he was a, uh, actually a lawyer, um, worked in law at Ohio State, um, and, uh, and then now practices in, in the city, and he shared about what he did, and then he asked me, he's like, you know, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And his response, you know, there's a group of us, and, you know, it was kind of the laugh, and, and he said, you know, well, now I know not to trust you with any kids or any money, you know, and everyone laughed, you know, it's like, ha, yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, I didn't laugh, I was insulted. And not just because I'm like, oh, pastors, you know, we got to protect the career, you know, we're important people, we do good things. No, I didn't find it funny because I want, I want people to think what I do is important. And we all do. We, we want people to think that what we do matters. And apart from career, I mean other things in life, whether it's hobbies, music, art, doing good works in the community. We want to think our time and our actions have some sense of significance. And so we... We, we find ways to tell people about what we do and why it's important. And we collect, maybe not physically, maybe just in our minds, little trophies, little ribbons. And we'll say, you know what? What you do matters. But in the end, in the end, you know, when confronted with death, how much of what we do will go on? We live in this despair feeling like what we do doesn't matter. And we bring that to God. We bring that way of relating like me to my neighbor. We want to relate to God. God, what I do is important. And then we get in this race of trying to do enough, trying to earn God's love, like we try to earn the love and affections of others. And what God does is he looks at me and you, and he says, you know, you're not defined by what you do. 
You are not what you have done. We are what Christ has done for us. Paul, he says this, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is Paul talking about here? What is What does he mean when he says, as Christ gave himself for us? You know, the whole book of Ephesians is actually about God's gift of his love and how it shapes our identity. So what we're talking about this morning is the whole book of Ephesians is about, and Paul spells it out very clearly in chapter 2, verse 4. So look there. Chapter 2, verse 4. Look at what Paul says describing the gift of God's love. It says, but God, in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. I love that. How he qualifies his richness in mercy. The great love, not a little love, a great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. You know, how much work can someone who's dead do? Nothing. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then look down at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is what? It is the gift of God. A gift, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Who am I? That's the question we're wrestling with. I am what Christ has done for me. My identity, my value is not shaped solely by what I have done, but what Christ has done on my behalf. Are you rooting your identity in your work? Are you rooting your identity in your accolades, in your trophies, and what you're collecting? We are defined by what Christ has done for us. Who am I? That's the question we're looking at. How God's love gives us a new identity. Another way in which we're prone to answer that question is, I am what I have. I am what I have. I am my collection of possessions. How would you fill that in? I have blank. I have blank. I have a good education. And someone told me when I graduated, no one can ever take away that degree. No one ever take it away. I have a good education. Or maybe I have good health. Good health. Go to the gym. I eat good. This is what I have. I have good health. Or maybe you fill that in, I have a nice home, or I have a nice car, or a nice, or a boat. If you have a boat, that's like bonus points. I have a boat. I can take that. I have it. I have nice clothing. You know, if you find yourself shopping at the mall, maybe you have uh, this, this Christmas, sorry to remind us of that experience. Shopping at the mall around Christmas. Um, you know, as you're walking around, what, what are the stores doing to try to get you in to buy their stuff? You know, what, what, what is advertisement? What, they invest billions of dollars to advertise, to, to give you a message. And what is the message? You know, if you're shopping for clothing, is the message, here is some clothes that will protect you from the elements. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to walk around in the nude so this clothing will help you not do that. Is that? No, they don't, unless it's like 
winter weather stuff, uh, like North Face or some jacket that's saying, you know, you could go in negative 50 degree weather. You know, that, they're the only ones that kind of appeal to your, to your sense of reason. But what is it? It's, a, it's an appeal to your identity. It's an appeal to your heart. That's what they're doing. They're not trying to appeal to your mind. They're appealing to your heart. They're saying, you will have value if you wear this shirt. Now, when we, when we were in India recently, we were in a mall. And in India, the advertising is not quite as subtle as here. They will just outright have a picture of a model and say on it, be fashionable. And we think, this is silly. Come on. You can't just say, be fashionable. Can't you say, look good? That's, you know, back in the States, you know, we don't fall for those things. Huh. You know, it's just that we've learned to not, to be a bit more subtle. When we walk around the mall, the messages, they're all calling to you. It's like, a, it's like rather than the loud bang, it's like a whisper. Jay, Jay, look at this clothes model. If, if you buy the shirts that they're not wearing, you'll be special. You'll be special, Jay. And of course we laugh, but is it not true? If you get this purse, you will be better than others. If you buy the car, you will be special. And that's why we do it, right? We spend money sometimes that we don't have. We invest our lives in trying to be special. And we think if we have the right things, we will. I have that. I will be special. Hmm. Like a stranger at the end of our driveway, wooing our kids with a lollipop to go with them. We buy right in. Paul, there's something he wants you to know and me to know. He wants us to know that we are wealthy in what matters in Christ. We are eternally rich. He opens up Ephesians. I love this. He opens up Ephesians in chapter one, right from the beginning. He says this, look in chapter one, verse three. Paul, he wants, he wants the audience, he wants his readers to know what they have. Because many of the early Christians were very poor. They did not have very much. And the world will always say, you, you are what you have. And Paul says, you need to understand what you really have in Christ. Verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with a few spiritual blessings, just a few. He holds out, you know, there's some he wants to give later. No, he says, in every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on and he, and he describes it. He unpacks what every spiritual blessing looks like. He says, we are chosen by God. We are children of God. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have salvation. We have wisdom. We have the Holy Spirit to secure all of it. We have a glorious future. Paul wants you to know what you have in Christ. We are rich and wealthy in what matters. We're asking the question, who are we? 
We see that I am not what I do, but what Christ has done for me. I am not what I have, but what Christ has given. Also, some of us, when we think of who we are, we, we, we think, I am what others say about me. I am what others say. Uh, many of us live for the approval of others. You know, just a few weeks ago, Megan and I, we were out on a date and we were eating in a restaurant near downtown Columbus. And we, were, we were having a good time. And we were loving the experience. Like, you know, this place is nice. Food's good. They're kind. Um, they, it had a jazz club there. We liked that. And, and kind of a different clientele that sometimes we have in Clintonville. We're loving this place. And, and the food um, hasn't come out yet, but we're excited to eat the food. And then, you know, what happens? I, I go on to Yelp. And I start reading reviews. And, and it was overwhelmingly positive, but not quite as many positive Yelp reviews as some other restaurants. And there were a few people, and they gave like ones, you know, they're like, service is horrible, it's bad, you know, and, and, and then and we start thinking, oh, you know, maybe this place isn't so good. <laughs> Rather than our opinion just being shaped by our experience, we are being swayed by the opinions and the rankings and ratings of others. I do this more than I like to admit. Whether it's a movie. Oh, I really like that movie. Oh, all the critics don't like it. Yeah, yeah, no storyline. Bad character development. You know, they, they, they didn't know what they're doing. You know, they, they, they didn't know. Or, or music. There might be a musician that you enjoy, but oh, wait, no one likes Coldplay. Oh, yes, we do not like Coldplay. The, 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 uh, the you know, the critics, these people, they don't, they don't like them, so I, I, I won't like them. You know, we, we have... We, we do this, don't we? We are swayed by the word and opinions of others. And it's not just restaurant or movies or music. It's us. What do other people say? What would the Yelp review of my life look like? And, and I don't know about you, but I, man, I like skew toward the negative. I, I just do. I just, you know, you could get 50 nice comments, but then there's the one, one star, and it's just, it's all I see sometimes. Or even someone could be giving a kind statement. They might be saying, hey, you look nice today. And you know what I hear? Oh, I didn't look nice yesterday? Huh, what are you trying to say? Just come out and say it. And then that's what I do. If you get the, you get the one negative, you think all the positive comments were just people saying kind things to make you feel better about yourself. But everyone else thinks like this one critical comment and the spiral goes. Maybe you can relate with that. Living under the approval of others. Finding our identity based on what other people say about us. And we, and we are just desperate, are we not, to have a good word? an educated, informed perspective, and yet we hear the voices. We hear them. Maybe the voice you hear is, I am a mistake. I am a mistake. I am dumb. Sometimes I hear that. Like when I make a mistake, I just don't think, ah, oh, Jay, you know, that was silly. Why, why'd you drop the drink? 
You know, why'd you drop your cup in the kitchen and spill water or whatever all over the place? No, I hear, I, it's like I, sometimes I even say it like, I'm dumb. Ah. Maybe what you hear is, I am ugly. See all the, the pictures in the mall. And I, I buy the clothes, it doesn't help. Maybe you hear, I am unwanted unimportant. You know, one, one young lady shared, uh, her mom once said to her, I wish I had aborted you. We feel that. Unwanted. Maybe you hear this one. I am unlovable. It's just, you know, other people, yeah. Not you. Unlovable. And, and how do we respond with these words, these negative reviews. You know, some of us want to say, you know, just ignore them. Who cares? Who cares what they say? All that matters is what you think about yourself. And we try that, don't we try that? We're like, you know, I'm not going to be defined by what you say about me. I am cool because I say so. And try that out. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The rating's still there. The wounds of what have been said are still there. We can't just shrug them off as if they don't matter. What we need is someone to come in with a true and honest word. Someone to come in and say, you know what? You are not a mistake. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, God created you in his own image. In the image of God, he created all people, male and female. You are not a mistake. You are creating the image of God. In a world that says, you know, we are ugly, Psalm 139, a word from God. I pr- uh, the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You and I are Beautiful. In a world that says that we can be unwanted, what's a word from God? John chapter 1, yet to all who did receive Christ, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Through Christ, you are a child of God. A child of God. And we see this right here where Paul says, imitate God as beloved children. And this is where we see our identity. You and I, we are. Who are we? We are not defined by the word of others. I am a beloved child of God. A beloved child of God. How does a loving parent look at their children? A loving parent. What do they see in their children? Loving parents are really (laughs) biased. You ever talk to someone and they're talking about their kid and like, you know, my kid, you know, they, they might make it to the Olympics. They're five, but I've seen them run around the house. And you're thinking, you know, they won't, but cool. That's what a loving parent does, though. They, see, they look at their kid and they, they just love them because they're their kid. Nothing, nothing the kid really needs to do. They just, just love them. And this, this last week, we were at our four-year-old's uh, Christmas program, Jack. We're at our four-year-old, and, 
And Jack, it was crazy. You should have seen what he did. You, should have see, you, should, you needed to be there to see what he did. He walked, walked up onto the stage and stood there with, I don't know how many other kids, maybe 50, 100, I, I don't know. I'm not good at counting. A lot of other kids. But Jack was up there. He stood there and he, I think he was trying to sing because we, we saw his mouth open a few times. But, uh, but it was amazing. And he just... There he was up there. And we were so proud. Whether he got the words right or not. You know, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see your mistakes. Doesn't just look at you and say, oh, oh man. Oh, wow, this person. All the potential of what they could do. Oh, I see potential in this one right here. It's not like the Holy Spirit gathering together and say, oh, oh man, if, if Jay really got it together. Oh, wow. No. He looks at you and me. He just loves you. Biased love. Loves you to the point of giving his life. You know, in a world of Yelp reviews and critics. Let God have the word that defines who you are. You are a beloved child of God. I, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know any other word that could be better. You know, if you have a parent who was someone of significance, you might want to tell people, you know, my dad, my dad was a, uh, CEO, my dad was a mayor. I don't, what are the significant things someone could have? My dad was on the school board. You know, my dad owns a business. And when you're a child, you take pride in, in that. And my dad, he created all things and he knows all things. And he looks at me and he calls me love. I don't know, what could anyone say to take away that? Who are we? Beloved children of God. Henry Nouwen, a priest, he puts it so well in his book, The Life of the Beloved, in which he's writing these letters to a friend. And he's trying, he wants his friend to know how God sees him. And he puts it this way. He says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are. I love this, right? You see, you see the love he has for his friend? <laughs> it says, the world tells you many lies about who you are. Like the advertisers that would say, you need to buy this product. And you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called to the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. We are beloved. Your faith in Jesus Christ, we are beloved 
children of God. This is what God gives. We are not what we have done. We are what Christ has done for us. We are not what we have, but what Christ has given. We are not what others say about us, but what God has declared. And then that invites us. There's an invitation here, and we see it in Ephesians. We are invited. I am invited to imitate God's love. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Does Christ love? God loves you, and he invites us to re-gift that love to others. We are re-gifting. We are imitating. And after all, when we think about Christmas and the love of God and the incarnation that God entered the world, that God became vulnerable, when you just think about that, God and Christ became a baby. That is crazy. Vulnerable, crying, needing help. God, unable to sustain his own life. Needing a teenage mom to care for him. What are some ways in the next week that you and I can incarnate God's love to others? That we can imitate this love as we close. Just a few brief ways we can imitate God's love. We can imitate God's love for us to others. We can re-gift God's love by serving people serving, incarnating, bringing love into action. And so what are some ways you can serve others? <laughs> what are some ways you can serve people? Maybe it's doing the dishes, helping clean up, watching kids so people can go out on a date. That's not a shameless plug, um, but it, it's helpful. Um, taking a meal to someone you care about. Showing up, hey, I just made you a meal no reason. Just wanted to, wanted to let you know I love you. I hope you enjoy it. What are some ways you can serve others? And maybe even asking, hey, you know, what can I do for you to make you feel loved? Really? Really? Another way that we can incarnate God's love is quality time. Being present with people. Being present. Jesus, he gives himself gives himself, gives, he becomes present with people. And I think this is very especially important in this time of year when, you know, as we mentioned earlier, we're prone to uh, define ourselves by what we have in possessions, but to be able to say to someone, you know what, you have me right now. You have my time right now. Being with someone, being together, being present, listening, conversing, talking, laughing, crying. Loving someone through quality time. And then lastly, loving someone by speaking an encouraging word. An encouraging word. Maybe it's a thank you card, Christmas card where you can write a message. Maybe it's calling up a friend or family member. Maybe it's a conversation. We all need it because in a world that says you are what you have, in a world that says you are what you do, in a world that wants to speak a critical word on each other, 
that we have the privilege to re-gift God's statements about us to other people, to say, you are loved. You are a child of God. You matter. What are some ways you can re-gift God's love to others? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a giver of life, a God of love who doesn't just say it, but you live it and you act it. And you reflected your love for us through your son coming into the world, which we celebrate this season, but also dying on the cross. We know where the life of your son went. And thank you, God, for the good news that that is for us. That when we think of the big question about who we are, we don't have to answer that just by what our culture and world says, but by what you have done, by what you have given, and what you declare about us through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. May we live in light of that truth. May we walk in it, as Paul said, walk in light of that love you have expressed to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.